This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning and have enjoyed the songs and the, uh, the prayers on my behalf. Thankful for that and I pray that the study of the morning will be beneficial to you as, as we examine a story uh, that takes place in the, in the days of the Old Testament. We're going to examine the sin of Achan. Now to give us some setup and some context, at this point in the history of Israel, Moses has died. And Joshua is now leading the people of Israel. And he has been charged to take them into the land of promise. And so they're on, they're on route to the land of, of Canaan. And they're going about conquering uh, nation after nation as they make their way into the promised land. Uh, when they arrive to the river Jordan, God kind of does a, a repeat of what he did to, for the Israelites in leading them away from captivity. And out of captivity, he dries up the Jordan and parts those waters so that all the people can pass over safely. And, and all the people in the land begin to fear God and the Israelites. And they see these great miracles that, that God is doing on behalf of the Israelites, and they're terrified. Uh, in fact, the scriptures say in, in, in Joshua that the, the people's response when they would encounter the Israelites is that their hearts melted because they were so afraid, because they saw the mighty power of God. And we talked a little bit about that in, 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 one, in a previous study, these mighty works that God had done. Well, God instructs Joshua as they encounter this city, uh, once they pass uh, the Jordan, the city of Jericho. They, they go around the city once per day for six days, and then on the seventh day, they go around the city seven times and make a great shout, and the walls would fall down. That was the strategy that God told them to employ. Now, we're familiar with that story, the story of Jericho, and this plays into what we're going to study this morning. So let's look at a passage there in Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. It says, And it came to pass at the seventh time that they had gone around. They went around that seventh day seven times. And it came to pass at that seventh time when the priests blew at the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout! For the Lord hath given you the city, and the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, and she and all that are with her in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed, when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord." So here's their instruction when they go in to conquer this land of Jericho. God says to them, don't take anything. It's all accursed. All their possessions, all the stuff, all the people, they're accursed. And he says, don't take of anything, number one. Number two, he says, all the gold and the silver and the brass and the iron, all the, the metals, the precious metals and the, the things of monetary value, he said, are separated, consecrated unto the Lord. And they will go into the treasury of God. And so those are two things that he wanted them to be mindful of as they went in and conquered the land. Don't touch what God has, has appointed as accursed, and don't, take, uh, don't try to take the money and the valuable things here, the brass, the silver, the gold, and the iron, because those God had appointed for himself. Now, we're going to read Joshua chapter 7 so that we get the fullness of this story and, and see how this plays out. Joshua chapter 7, if you have a Bible, if you want to turn there, Joshua chapter 7, we'll read all of this, uh, because I think it's important to, 
not just read pieces at times, but to read the entire chapters and get the full story here. So we'll begin in verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. Uh, for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. It's exactly what God told him not to do. This man, Achan, goes and he takes of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Bethaven, on the east of Bethel, and spake to them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. So here's this other town as they go along, Ai. Joshua says, Go up and check it out, just like they had done and, and scouted out these other towns. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people in the land uh, uh, labor thither, for, for they are but few. So these scouts come back and give them a report and say, let's not send everyone. Let's just send a few and we can conquer that. Easy. It's all good. Just send a few people. No need to make everybody go. So there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. You see, all these times before, the people had the hearts of the people melted at the sight of the Israelites coming to them. But now the Israelites are fleeing in the presence of this small little village in the small town here, the city, Ai. Uh, and the men of Ai smote them, about thirty-six men. For they chased them from before the gate, even to Sherebim, and smote them in the going down. Wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So now the tables have turned. And now the Israelites are the ones who have melted hearts, and they're afraid. Because they've just lost, after conquering nation after nation, they just lost a battle to just a very small city. And, and they were smitten. And thirty-six men died. And Joshua rent his clothes, and he fell up on the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou brought us, uh, uh, this people, over Jordan, to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would to God we would have been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan." O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it, and shall environ around us and cut off your name from the earth. For what wilt thou do unto thou great name? So Joshua here falls before the ark of the Lord and makes a plea to God and, and, and bemoans the fact that they lost this battle to this small town. And now he feels like God has abandoned them and forsaken them. And he feels like this is God's fault. Why did you bring us out here? Did you bring us out here to deliver us in the hand of the Amorites? Now what are we going to do? Now that all the people have seen that we lost this battle, all these other nations are going to rise up and cut off your name. And notice the way he poses that question to God. He says, what will thou do with, unto thy great name? He's putting all of this on God now. What will thou do unto thy great name? Well, what happens next we see is, Basically, God tells him to quit pouting about this because it wasn't God's fault in the first place. And the Lord said in verse 10, The Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have stolen, and dissembled also, and they put it, put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more except you destroy the accursed thing from among you. 
up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord shall take from according to the families thereof, and the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households, and the households which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. Now remember, the children of Israel signed up for this and said, We will obey your covenant. And God told them, if you don't obey, there will be punishment. And they agreed and entered into this covenant with God. And now they've broken that. Because they took of the accursed thing and they disobeyed God. And God tells Joshua, quit pouting about this. This isn't my fault that this is happening. This is your fault. The Israelites, you are the ones who took of the accursed thing after I told you not to take of it. And that's why you weren't able to go and conquer, as you had in times past, all of these nations and, and this city of Ai. You weren't able to accomplish this because you had defiled yourselves and you were cursed. And you cannot go forward accomplishing God's purpose when they're in that state. And so he says, remove that sin and remove it from you. And then you will be able to proceed as going and carrying on God's purpose. Remove this folly from you. And notice the way that God instructs him to do this and tells him this is going to play out. And we see this play out in other times in the New Testament, or in the Old Testament rather, where somebody has hit, uh, committed some kind of sin, or in the, case, uh, in the other case that I can think of, of Saul, who when he was appointed king, he went and hid himself. And so God calls all the people together. So this is out in front of everyone. Calls all the nation of Israel together. And then he calls out a particular tribe. Then he calls out a particular family. Then he calls out a particular household. And then they all come individually, man by man, until you get down to the line. And then it's the person that he, he stops with who he knows has committed the sin. And so this is open before all when God corrects these things and call someone out because of their sin in this manner. And so he tells Joshua to do this. And so that's what he does. So Joshua rose up early in the morning, in verse 16, uh, rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah, and he took the family of the Zerahites, and he brought the family of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought the household, uh, brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. So what this shows us and tells us is that God knew exactly who committed the sin. He knew exactly what he had done, and he knew exactly what he had taken. And now he's stand before all in judgment. And Joshua said unto Achan, my son, give, I pray thee, glory to God of Israel, and, I will, and make confession to him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. Interesting the way Joshua says that taken. Give glory to God. Previously, Joshua had accused God of, of their failure, and that was wrong. And now he's telling Achan, you confess that you're the one that did this, and give glory to God because it's not his fault. This was this man's fault, Achan. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw the spoils of a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them 
And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. So he had taken these things and saw it. God called all the things in that city accursed. But this man looked among that, among that stuff and said, that Babylonish garment looks good. What God called a curse, this man called good. And he, and he took that for himself. And then he saw the money that God had said, had set aside and said was consecrated unto the Lord and should go into the treasury and said, I want that, and took it. And then he went into his tent and he buried it and he hid it and he covered it up. Thought he could get away with it, but unfortunately God sees all and he was, he was found out very easily. And Joshua sent messengers and they ran into the tent and behold, it was hid in his tent, the silver and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the children of Israel. They went and got the stuff and they laid it out before the Lord. And Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah with the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them into the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned him with fire, after that they had stoned him with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day, so that the Lord turned his fierceness from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. Now, Achan meets his end as they gather all the stuff and all of his possessions, and that sin is removed and dealt with and put away from the people of Israel. It's, a, it's quite an intense story as, as we read about this and think about this, this man's judgment that came upon him. And this man, the name Achan, means trouble. And Joshua said, you've brought trouble to Israel, and now God is going to bring trouble to you. And so he received his judgment, and, and he lost everything. Now what can we learn about this? Because that's interesting when we have stories like this in the Old Testament. And we might seem like they're pretty dark and pretty heavy, but God intends for us to learn something from these things. And what are some of the things that we can learn and, and make observations with? Well, first of all, we can observe that, like Israel, God is leading us. We are His people. And He is leading us about to the land of heaven, this promised land that He's giving us. And He, he leads us about, and we are conquerors, and we are victorious in the, in the face of sin because of Christ. In fact, the scriptures tell us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9-10, through 10, it says, "...who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel." Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God has freed us from the, from the bondage and the slavery and the death of sin, just like he did for Israel. He led them out of bondage and slavery and the oppression of, of the Egyptians. God has taken us out of sin and given us life and light, or life and immortality through the gospel, and he's abolished death. And we're made free now, and we're made conquerors, and we're made victorious because of not our own actions, like the Israelites, they weren't going around and conquering these nations on their own power. We saw what happened with Jericho. They just obeyed God's instruction, and God caused the walls to fall down. It wasn't their own might, and it wasn't our own might that saved us from our sins. But it was through, through God's own might and through the might of Christ. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, 
verse 57, it says, But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this victory of sin was given to us. And that blessing was, was bestowed upon us through, through Jesus Christ, the blessing of being freed from our sins. So there's, we have correlation here with the Israelites. We have something in common there with the Israelites. And just like the Israelites, we have an incredible advantage that other people that are outside of Christ don't have. And that is that we have God, and we have God on our side. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, Paul makes this incredible, uh, this incredible statement and, and questions and puts it to our minds to, to understand this point. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? That question alone should stir up in our minds the fact that we have this amazing, incredible advantage. God is for us. And if that's the case, who can be against it? us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? That's us, God's elect. It's God that justifieth. And if God's the one who justified us, no one can, can accuse us. No one can bring condemnation to us if God is the one who has justified it and justified us. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who can bring condemnation against us when we have such a powerful ally? Jesus, who died and was raised again and sits at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? There's no external problem or trial or tribulation that can ever separate us from the love of Christ. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so just like the Israelites, we have an incredible advantage of having God on our side, and so long as we are on His side and, and, and follow Him and obey His commandments, God will be with us. That's, that's, really, where, that's really where we get down into to what this verse is saying here. And what it doesn't say is that, that we are not capable. That there's all these things that are capable of, uh, incapable of separating us from Christ, but us. If we make the wrong decisions, if we make the wrong choice, if we decide not to follow God then we will be separated from God. But there's no other external thing that can separate us from Christ, and that's an advantage. Now, just like the Israelites, we need to understand that it is God who defines what is good and what is evil. And that's the way it's always been. That's always been the case. Just as God had defined to the Israelites uh, what was accursed in Jericho and what was separated out to him, well, God is the one who makes those decisions. In Genesis chapter 2, Verse 16, we see that it's been this way since the garden and since the beginning. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, that was good. 
And he was allowed to do that. Mankind was allowed to eat of anything at all in the garden, including the tree of life. But he says, Of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. From the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So God defines what is good and acceptable and what is not good and what is unacceptable, what is holy and what is unholy, what is good and what is accursed. And he, of course, we know the story of humanity. They failed and they they took of the accursed thing and they caused humanity to fall into sin and into ruin. But God's desire for humanity has always been to pursue what is good and right and holy and to leave behind what is accursed. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26, we see the pleading that he makes with Israel and the command that he gives to Israel. He says, You shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy and have severed you from other people that you should be mine. He wanted Israel to be holy and, and pursue that standard. And he created us. He created humanity to pursue after holiness. And that's what he expects of us. And so he makes a distinction between what is holy and what is unholy. We see in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, it says, The fruit of the Spirit, this is what is good, what is holy, what is right. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. This is what God has defined as what is good and what is right and what is holy. And he also gives us commandments about what is considered accursed and what is unholy. Galatians chapter 5, in that same chapter, the, the previous verses, and beginning in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh, now this is what is unholy and this is what is accursed. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and the such like. The list goes on and on of things that God has considered unholy. And he says, Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the accursed things that will cause us to be separated from God, that will cause us to give up our holiness, that will cause us to become corrupt. God has made those definitions. Now, our problem that we have and that we face because we're weak and we're often foolish in, in our desires, in our, in our sinful, uh, in, because of the influence of sin in our lives, we try to do what Achan did, and we, we redefine what is good. God has already made clear what is good and what is accursed. And just like Achan, he goes into this place after God said all this stuff is accursed. He looks out upon these accursed things and says, this is a good Babylonish garment. And so he takes that for himself. And we have the same trouble because we get tempted by our own desires and our own lust. And we look out upon what God has called accursed, this list here of all these sins. And we say, this is good. Or that is good. And it's all dependent on what we, we feel and what we desire. The Bible says this, James chapter 1, verse 14. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So the, the problem with us looking at these accursed things, it's our own self. It's our own heart. It's our own lust and our own desire. 
and we're enticed by these things and we call it good and we try to take it for ourselves. You know, humanity has, a, has had a pro- problem with this since the fall of man and the Israelites and the, the people of God rather have had problems with this. We notice the Israelites again, their failures in, in the wilderness. In Psalm 106, verse 19, the, the Psalter here describes the fact that when they had made a calf in Horeb and they worshipped the molten image, thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. When we look at what God has called accursed, in this case, He told the Israelites, don't worship an image, don't make an idol and worship that. And instead, they, they thought that was a good thing. We want something to worship, Aaron. So in Exodus 32, they make this gold, golden calf and they worship this thing that was in the similitude of an ox. And notice what happens when we do that. When we redefine for ourselves what is good, we're changing the glory of God. He says they changed the, their glory, which was God, into the similitude of that of an ox that eats grass. They changed the creator into a creature and into the likeness of a creature. And, and they, they were worshiping this corrupt idea of, of what God was and who God is. And so they did this simply because they decided it was good, and we had the same trouble. And when we decide to go after the accursed thing, not only are we changing and giving up the glory of God, we are selling ourselves, and we are giving up something precious that God has given us, His holiness. In 1 Kings, we read about an Israelite king who is very evil and very wicked. And notice what it said about him in 1 Kings 21, beginning in verse 25. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness. The fact that he was committing evil and working wickedness and worshiping idols and persecuting the prophets. It says, in whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols, according to all the things as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. God said, these practices are accursed. And these actions are accursed. And Ahab sold himself to work that wickedness. And so we're giving something up of great value when we decide to redefine what is good and what is evil for ourselves. We're selling ourselves. Now, we also have another issue, another problem that we can see in in comparison to Achan. Not only did he look upon the stuff that God called a curse and take that for himself, he took of, of something that God had separated out for himself. And so he was stealing from God. And we might find this trouble in our own lives if we are not careful and cautious. In Psalm 29, verse 2, we read, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name, and worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. We're commanded to give glory to God. All the glory belongs to him. All the glory is due unto his name. And not only that, we have an appropriate way we're supposed to conduct ourselves in view of this relationship with God. Worship Him in the beauty of holiness. That sounds a lot like worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. So we need to give God the credit, and we need to do what God has asked us to do and worship Him properly and yield our obedience to Him because that belongs to Him, and He deserves that, and He has separated that out unto Himself. In Titus chapter 2, verse 14, it says, "...who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works." God has separated you and I out. He has separated our souls out. Just like he looked upon that stuff and said, all of this is separated, and it's for me, 
He has looked out upon us, and if we've been baptized into Christ and have our sins washed away, we have been separated unto God, and we are His special possession. We are, the, we are this precious thing in His sight, a peculiar people. And, and He says that we are supposed to be zealous of doing good works. And so one of the ways that we steal from God and steal something of value from God is when we don't yield ourselves in true worship to Him and when we don't offer these good works and aren't active and aren't involved and aren't doing what we need to do in, in service to God. We're stealing something of value that belongs to, to God and keeping it for ourselves. And so we need to be mindful of that, not, not to steal these good works from God. Another way is as we're going about doing these good works, we might get a little puffed up about how great we are at these spiritual things. Maybe it's our knowledge of the scriptures. Maybe it's the number of people we talk to. Maybe it's the number of people we study with. Maybe it's the number of people we baptize. Maybe it's the number of songs I lead or the number of sermons I preach. Whatever the case may be, sometimes we lose sight of what really is important. And we start to steal glory from God, the glory that belongs to Him. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 7, it says, So, so neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth but God that giveth the increase. That's who matters. It's God. It's not really about us and about how much we're doing, although we ought to do things and ought to work and ought to labor. We don't need to lose sight that the glory is to God. It's easy for us to think that we're responsible for the spiritual growth of others or the spiritual successes that we're experiencing in life because we're doing good works. But really... It's God who is giving the increase, not us. We're incapable of making anyone grow spiritually, but the Word of God is capable of making somebody grow spiritually. And the Word of God is what will change somebody's life. And we can be good and influence them, but the glory belongs to Him. So we need to be careful not to steal that glory from God because He has separated that to Himself. Now the other thing is we might, we might get puffed up and vain about our physical successes about all the blessings that we experience in this life. And there's a, a, a proverb about this or a, a parable about this that Jesus gives in Luke 12. He describes a man who was so into himself and his success that, he, that, in fact, the Bible calls him a fool. It says, And he spake a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And, because he, thought within him, or, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits... And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, be merry. This guy is so into himself and his success. Look at all these great things I've done. Look how much I've produced I don't even know what to do with it. I have so much stuff. You know what? I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to make an even bigger barn and I'm going to fill it up with all the stuff that I made happen because I'm a rock star. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose things shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This guy had plenty of opportunities to look out among the people around him that were poor and needy and helpless, and he, could have, he had enough to spare for many years, he says. And so we need to be careful not to 
steal glory away from God and think that all of our spiritual or our, our physical success, our material wealth, is something that was caused by our own efforts or our own abilities. Remember that God has blessed us richly with these things, and we ought to use those things properly to produce fruit for God's kingdom and not hoard those things for ourselves and, and keep it all for ourselves, and especially giving God the praise and the glory for these things uh, in, the, in our lives. We might be at risk of, of stealing glory from God and stealing credit from God and stealing spiritual success and keeping the good works that we ought to be doing. And just like Achan, we, we do the exact same thing Achan did. What did he do? He took that stuff, he ran into his tent, he dug a hole and he buried it and he tried to hide it so that nobody could see. And we do the same thing. We bury our sins. We try to take all these sinful things that we're doing or these thoughts that we have and these, these actions that are consuming our life and we try to bury them deep down inside and we try to cover it up and act like everything's normal, nothing to see here, everything's fine. We get to a point where we say, as, as John points out in 1 John 1, verse 8, we, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We might uh, uh, try to talk ourselves into the fact that, well, we don't have a problem. We don't have sin. We're, there's nothing going on. And we convince ourselves. And, you know, Jesus described people who were caught in sins with these secret sins hidden deep in their heart. They don't want to come to the light, and they don't want to come to the truth because the Word of God is like a light that exposes us for what we really are, and instead we retreat to the darkness and we try to hide. John 3, verse 20, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to his light, lest his deed should be reproved. We try to hide under the cover of darkness. We try to hide in hopes that nobody is going to see what we're hiding in our tabernacle in our hearts. And we don't come to the light because the light will expose us. But just like Achan, we have a problem. God sees everything. And He already knows what you've done. He already knows what I've done. There's no hiding from God. He knows exactly what you've done, when you've done it, how much you've done it, and where you've put it, or where you're hiding it. Because He sees everything and every place. God says this of Himself in Jeremiah 23. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God far off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? There is nowhere to run. There is nowhere to hide. God already knows what we've done. We could go down into the deepest place in the ocean, the most darkest place, down into the Mariana Trench or even farther beyond, as, as, as far beyond as we could go, and God is still there. We can't hide from Him. And we could go as far into space as we can into the farthest expanses of the universe, God is still there. There's no hiding. We're completely open and naked before God and exposed, and He sees everything. Not only on the outside, but everything on the inside. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God already knows what's buried deep inside your heart. No hiding it. He's a, thought, he's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And our sin, just like Achan's sin, brings reproach. 
when we commit sin and we're living these lives, and, and it's, it causes a problem for our brethren. It causes a problem for the church. It causes a problem to the people around us. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, Paul encourages the Corinthians and says, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. If Christians are going around acting in sinful ways, it's going to hinder the work of the church. Just like the Israelites were hindered from con- going on and continuing to conquer because they were accursed, we will cause offense to the church and the ministry will be blamed. It's damaging to the reputation of the church when we're living in sin. People see it. People notice. How many people have turned away from Christ because of how people out there calling themselves Christians are acting? There's a lot. There's a lot of people. And so we need to be mindful of that. A sin that we have in our life will bring reproach to the church. In 2 Samuel 12, verse 14, we have the example of David, who was the king over Israel and committed sin by having, committing adultery with another man's wife, getting her pregnant, and then killing that man in the, in the lines of a hopeless battle. And notice when God rebukes him, he says, How be it, because this deed, by this deed, thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. All the enemies of God now would be able to see this and blaspheme the name of God because of the sin that David committed as the leader of Israel. And and so we might think that our sins aren't hurting anyone, but notice here, the result of his sin, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. We might think that our sins aren't hurting anyone, but it has serious ramifications on other people's lives because our sin will affect others. They couldn't stand before their enemies, the Israelites, because of Achan. Thirty-six of his brothers died being pursued by this, this, uh, these people from Ai. And when the judgment time came around and was carried out, he wasn't the only person who lost his life. His wife was taken out there with him. His sons were taken out there with him. His daughters were taken out there with him. His animals, all his livestock, all his possessions, everything was taken to this valley of Achor, and they piled stones upon them, and then they burned it. This that's, seems very harsh, but we need to realize that our sin causes shame and pain and destruction in the lives of our family. If we have sin in our hearts, it will destroy, and it will cause pain and destruction for other people. And, and hurt others. To bring a Bible example to this, in Galatians chapter 2, we read of something that Peter, the apostle, who was supposed to be a great leader of God's people, among the great leaders, we see him acting in a sinful way. You see, if, if, if you've been able to come to some of the Wednesday night studies, uh, Pat's been going through us, with us the life of Paul, and in that we see that God had worked to bring the Jews and the Gentiles together in one body in Christ. That was his purpose all along through the blessing of Abraham, that all nations would be blessed through Christ. And so now the New Testament, a lot of the New Testament is the work that God has done to bring these two different people together into one body, to love one another, to support one another, to be there for one another, to treat each other as family in Christ. But the Jews had a problem. Some of them were prejudiced against the Gentiles. And we see an an instance where Peter, the apostle, is carried away with this separation and, and this segregation. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, when Peter was come to Antioch, Paul says, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. He had sin on his hands. Why? Because before that certain came from James, James was an influential uh, Jew among the the Christians uh, there at Jerusalem, and there was people that came 
from him. And he says, before they came, Peter did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. Peter wanted to maintain his appearance, said, hey, I'm being a good Jew, and I'm not mingling with these Gentiles. And that was sinful. And that was damaging to the church. You don't think those Gentiles were hurt by that? That this Christian leader, Paul, uh, P- Peter, an apostle who had been with Christ and seen Christ and was going out teaching people, who even was responsible for converting Cornelius and his household and preaching the gospel to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, you don't think that hurt them when those Jews came and Peter decided he wasn't going to be around them and separate himself from them? That hurt, and that caused pain, and that caused destruction, I'm sure. And, and could have caused more if Paul hadn't stepped in and... and and rebuked him. It was so bad, it says in verse 13, that other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas was also carried away with their dissimulation. Other Jews that were there that saw Peter do this were influenced to do the same thing and separated from these Gentiles. And it says even Barnabas, this was a man who traveled with Paul to Gentile city after Gentile city and converted many Gentiles to Christ and encouraged them and showed them how they were part of the family of God now and that God always intended for them to be. And now he's separating from them because of this man, Peter. And so don't think your sins and your actions don't influence the lives of other people and cause damage in, in not only your family's life, your, the life of your wife or your children. It causes problems in the life of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And others will get carried away with our sins because we will influence them. It causes damage. And we know that. We know sin causes damage in lives of people. So what should we do now? Knowing this, this story of Achan and seeing these, these correlations, seeing these ways that we can compare ourselves to, to Achan and to God and to the Israelites, what should we do? Well, I think we should do what God wants us to do with these stories and learn from them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, But with many of them God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. He's talking about the Israelites, whom we're reading about this morning. Now, these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. God has given us these stories so that we cannot repeat the mistakes of the past. He wants us to move forward and pursue holiness. Don't lust after the evil things that they lusted after, but instead pursue holiness. That's what God wants from us. If we have sins in our hearts that we've buried, like Achan, it's time to get those out. It's time to give glory to God and, bring, and make confession to Him and experience the mercy of God. At Romans chapter 13, Paul says, And now, knowing the time, that, that it is now high time to wake out of sleep. It's time to wake up. It's time to let go of those sins. It's time to move forward in, in, in holiness. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. We may try to look at the things that are accursed and think we're going to take that and it's going to bring value to our lives. It's going to make us look good. It's going to make us... uh, feel better in some way. But what we ought to do is look at the good things that God has said are good and take those and put that garment on, the garment of holiness, 
the garment of Christ, and don't make provision for your flesh. If we have sins we're trying to hide, it's time to cast those off and to make changes and reach out and put on these holy garments of Christ because a better reward awaits. You know, if Achan had waited, if he'd, if he'd had self-control, if he would have had obedience to God and done the right thing, he would have been far better off and he would have benefited far more because after you finish that story in Joshua chapter 7, we, I want to show you what happens in Joshua chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee, and rise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai, and his people, and his city, and his land. And thou shalt do unto Ai and her king as thou didst to Jericho and her king. Only the spoil thereof, and the cattle thereof, shall you take as a prey unto yourselves. God intended to give them blessings anyway. And far greater blessings than Ai... Uh, from, from these spoils and the spoils of the land of Canaan as they went, in, and went on to be very prosperous in that land. Far beyond what, a what Achan thought he was getting by looking out the accursed thing and looking at what belonged to God and trying to steal that for himself. And he would have received much more than, than he took. And the same is true for us. If we wake up and cast off these sins and realize that whatever it is we're looking for, God intends to give that to us in the right way, in holiness and in purity. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, According as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that called us to glory and virtue, God intends to give us glory. God intends to, to give us virtue. He intends to give us great blessings that pertain to life and godliness. And so we're fooled if we think we can achieve that from sin. God wants to give us these things, whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, the holiness of God, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Whatever it is you're looking for in sin, you're not going to find it. All you will find is pain and destruction and judgment, and condemnation. But if we let go of those desires and pursue holiness, He is going to fulfill those desires for us beyond what we could have ever imagined or thought was possible. And that's a great blessing. As Peter continues, he says, add things to your life, faith and virtue and knowledge and temperance and godliness. And if we grow in these things, being partakers of His holiness, pursuing what is right, we're going to be led to a far greater reward than what we get when, when we take hold of sin. And he continues on there in verses 10 and 11. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God intends to fulfill our desires in the right way, in holiness, through Christ. And ultimately, if we let go of these sins and take what's buried and, and expose it before God and confess it to Him and make changes and make corrections, we will have entrance into that, that promised land and we won't perish in the sin of Achan. Don't wait for the day of judgment to be called out before God and stand before Him and then face everlasting punishment and everlasting death. You have the opportunity to confess. You have the opportunity to remove those things that are hiding. 
and come to God and experience His mercy through Christ, experience the forgiveness of your sins through Christ. He wants us to change. He is for us changing. He wants us to seek holiness. He wants us to receive blessings. And so if you're here this morning and you need prayers from the church to do better, you have sin in your life and you need to remove that and you need to do better, we're here as a family to lift you up and to help you to do that. We're not here to condemn each other and tear each other down, but we're here to help each other. And if, if you're here this morning and you know, I need to be baptized into Christ because I don't want to face that judgment. I want to, to, I want to stand in the light of Christ and come to Him and have my sins removed through His blood. You can be baptized into Christ and experience that great joy and become part of the family of God. And then God will be for you and you will have a, a mighty advantage in this life. All of these things are available to you if you'll come forward as we stand and sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.